This is Top Floor, Episode 6. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash six. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. In this episode, we are riding up to the top floor with Kendra Plummer, founder and managing partner of Elise Capital. Kendra's career has carried her from the hotel front desk through to a variety of development and acquisitions positions. She's also an adjunct professor in hospitality. So Kendra is one of the people from whom I have learned the most about the real estate investment side of the hotel business. I think a lot of us who have long careers running hotels don't realize that there is this whole other side of the business. And Kendra has definitely been one of my best guides through that. She's here today to talk with us about how hotel deals get done, and how companies like Elise Capital market investment opportunities. But first, we've got to answer the call button. So the emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. And today's question comes from Sean. Sean asks us, Kendra... He says, our hotel has a small team. How can I get the front desk to help with sales? What do you think? Any good ideas? Good question. And for me personally, in my experience, how being a front desk agent before as well, the best time that we did well at sales is when we received or could receive something for it as well. So not always necessarily commissions because especially as a hotel owner too, you don't want to be putting out too many expenses, but things like a PTO day or being put into a pool of something where maybe you'll get a gift card to a coffee shop or something like that. That's an incentive for them to want to upsell and also strong training too and how to sell. A lot of sales is about confidence. So making sure that they're capable of um, having the best resources to do that as well. That is a very good idea. The incentive program, people respond to incentives. I think the other thing I would add, Sean, is the place where you've probably got the most opportunity at the front desk is to try to determine if your OTA guests are really business travelers. So what we're seeing a lot of right now are people who are traveling on business in disguise as OTA guests because they're getting better prices. And so if you can find out why they're in town, if they're doing business versus on a leisure or vacation trip, that can be a successful and helpful sales lead for the hotel as well. You mentioned that you worked at the front desk at a hotel all through college. What made you realize or decide that you would prefer the real estate and investment side? For me, ownership was always the goal, but I didn't necessarily know how to do it. So my thought was, 
if you're working in front desk, you can eventually become a general manager. And that takes you to the path of ownership, (laughs) which wasn't actually the case. Um, But for me growing up as um, a first generation American, as well with parents from the Caribbean, it made me realize very early how important tourism could be, which ignited my love for hotels. And with that, I started in operations again with that goal, thinking I could get to ownership that way. And as I was working in operations is when I realized that hotels are not just operations, that that's the only one side of the business. And I would need to have the real estate and finance side as well to accomplish my goals of owning hotels at the level that I was seeking to own them at. Once you moved into the development side, into those kind of roles, can you talk a little bit about what those jobs were like? So you're no longer checking people in all day long. What, how did you spend your time? So it's still about the same amount of time, um, which is a common misconception too, thinking that on the investment side, you're just working nine to five versus hotels can be any time. But the investment side transferred in a different type of way where instead of talking to people all the time, I'm now crunching numbers in Excel sheets and passing my time with finance and computers and switching from you know being up and around all the time to problem solving, but from a financial perspective. So in that transition, I was still helping people, but in a different type of way. So hotel operations taught me how to think on my toes, how to solve problems. And I was still doing that. But now in the investment side, it's more from an analytical perspective in how can we impact the long-term longevity of the hotels that we're owning or planning to invest in. Can you give an example of the type of problem that you had to solve in a development or number crunching type position? Sure. So a lot of the number crunching is all about profitability, right? So how can we make this hotel profitable? How can we increase our profit margins? And in some cases, it's identifying opportunities in the hotel. Is it that their sales team isn't activating all aspects of the business market that they potentially could be? Is it that there actually is an issue with staffing having too much overtime and we're not staffing the hotel properly and how can we give our staff a better work-life balance and quality of living as well and how would that affect the overall operations without changing the guest experience so a lot of those problems trying to solve are one math problems how do we solve for x but then in that solving for x how do we make sure that we don't cut everything in the hotel and not give the guests what they need as well understood that's really interesting way to look at it both solving for x and sort of solving the gray area of the human side mm-hmm. What was the spark or the inflection point when you decided to start your own company? Was that always part of your plan? Did something happen or did something change to make that more interesting to you? It was always part of the plan, but something did happen to change how the plan would come into play. So as mentioned, when I was a kid, I had a vision of 
owning a boutique hotel because of my family being from the Caribbean. So my goal was to own a boutique hotel either in Barbados or Jamaica. And as I continued through school and working in hotels, those larger and grand scale experiences showed me that I could actually own a portfolio of hotels and it didn't have to just be one hotel. And there's different types of hotel owners. And that prompted me to switch my vision to what Elise Capital is becoming today and being a full-time hotel investment group instead of just having one asset that we control. I still want you to have a boutique hotel in Barbados, please. That is still part of the plan. (laughs) (laughs) That would be pretty amazing. One thing I think is so interesting and compelling about Elise Capital is the way that you structure investments. And I think you just alluded to that. For background, you'll fill in the blanks if I get this wrong, right, Kendra? But for background, most hotel deals require pretty high minimum investments. I think the lowest is usually around 50 $50,000. So can you talk about how Elise Capital is different? We're different because we are not just an investment platform, but we have a mission as well. And a lot of that mission is fueled by the economic wealth gaps that continue in the U.S. today, both racial wealth gaps, gender wealth gaps, and how do we remove barriers to allow people to build more wealth through hotel investments? So instead of just being an investment platform, we're also an education platform. So a lot of people that we come into contact with have never even known that hotel ownership is a possibility for them. And a lot of that is due to roadblocks and access to opportunities that they might not always have. So our platform makes those opportunities more accessible by sometimes lowering those minimums, like you said, of 50,000, 200,000, that could be um, the barrier of entry in some cases, lowering or removing those barriers of entry, removing the typical barriers of awareness. So just getting the word out that hotel ownership is a possibility. And then also um, helping with structuring funds in different ways that maybe you don't have to have the same net worth requirements as you typically would, because again, there is a large wealth gap in the U.S. How do you find a hotel to invest in? How do you decide that one hotel is a good idea or good investment and another one isn't? They're not all the same, I'm guessing. They are definitely not all the same, (laughs) Um, but industry relationships are key in finding a hotel investment. So most of our deals we're finding using hotel brokers that we have industry relationships with. And once they show us a deal, then I do a complete analysis to determine if it's feasible, meaning does this hotel have the capabilities of meeting the return on investment metrics that at least capital typically targets? So after doing an underwriting, deciding how profitable the hotel can be based on the um, acquisition price, if it meets the return on investment metrics, then great, it's a feasible deal and I'll probably put in letter of intent in for it. If it doesn't meet those requirements, then I'll probably pass on the deal and continue searching for one that does. As a follow-up to that, is it possible that a hotel wouldn't meet your criteria, but might work for a different kind of investor? Or is it just a bad hotel? 
No, um, a hotel works for everybody. It all just depends on your goals and reason for investing as well. Some people are investing because they want a hotel in that specific market. Some are investing because they want just that brand in their portfolio. And maybe they have other hotels that are keeping them afloat or are producing a good profitability, but they just want the namesake at this point. So it really all depends on what your goal is as an investor to acquire that hotel. Once you've found the hotel that you want to buy, how do you find investors to help you get there? This is all about relationships again, which whether you're on the operation side or the investment side, relationships are key because overall we're a people business. So your first batch of investors are typically your friends and family that you're reaching out to with organic word of mouth type of marketing. And then after that initial pool, maybe your friends and family will have other friends and they'll continue that ripple effect. Um, But you're also going to have to branch out into people who you don't know as well. And you have to be pretty strategic when you do that. You might not always do a large marketing blast depending on how your deal is structured. So there's different legal compliances that you have to make sure you're following based on the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission. So a lot of research going into how you can legally raise capital. But for the most part, it's speaking to people, building relationships and marketing in more organic ways. Are there any things that you've tried that worked either extremely well or backfired and worked terribly poorly? Yeah, some things that have worked pretty well are doing things like webinars and things that people are coming so that they can learn. And then you also talk about what opportunities that you have. So it allows for a good exchange for people to receive information that they feel qualified and that they know more instead of just doing a cold call, for example, um, and not having as much success with that. So warming people up typically helps. So you don't pick up the phone book and just start flipping through the pages is what you're saying? Well, I'm pretty sure that would backfire. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else that you've tried or that you've heard of people trying that maybe is not a good strategy? Um, I've heard of people just going up to people, whether it be at conferences and things of that sort. And I think that that works, but it's about your approach. So knowing your audience, I think you can catch more people because you know what to talk about with them versus things that might not be important to them. So I think just the worst thing to do is not having your research done on who you're talking to before going about it. It's interesting. This reminds me of episode four when Tammy Gillis talked about not pitch slapping people. It sounds like that applies <laughs> here as well, that you have to actually know what you're talking about and present a case yeah. that benefits the potential investor. Given the impact of the pandemic and you know how it has affected travel and hospitality, Is this a good time to invest in hotels, a bad time to invest in hotels, same as it ever was? What do you think? To me, there's no time like the present, especially if you're looking to invest. So while the landscape of deals might have changed or how we go about looking for deals, 
the goal at the end of the day hasn't. So I don't think that you just put things on break just because of differences and changes going on, but you figure out how to adjust and still make smart decisions given where we're at right now. So if you're looking for hotel investment opportunities, I do still think that there's great deals out there. To me, there definitely are because we just acquired one. Um, So there are still great deals out there, but it's your thought process going into it in maybe changing how you're finding deals or even the pricing. Maybe you're not paying as high of a price because you know that it's not the same value as it was before. So just realizing the different changes. But to me as well, especially on the investment side, when you're analyzing things all the time and you have to take guesses at what's the worst thing that could happen. Well, now we kind of know the worst (laughs) thing that could happen. (laughs) So that's funny, but it's funny. So that helps too. (laughs) So your uh, sensitivity analysis is a lot more sensitive now that we've gone through this pandemic. (laughs) We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with a couple of very practical and tangible things to try. If someone's interested in investing in a hotel deal like the ones that you put together at Elise Capital, what are some of the first things they should do? First thing is to define what type of investor you want to be. So there's two types of investors, really. You can be active, which is what I am in that I find hotel deals, source them, take all the responsibility of the day-to-day as well as liabilities. And then there's passive investors where you're just putting your money in and letting your money work for you. So if you're looking to be a passive owner, you're still an owner, but you're not tasked again with that day-to-day decision-making and responsibilities. And for those types of people, you would look to find a deal sponsor. So someone who is leading a deal, someone like Elise Capital, for example, and to get in on one of those opportunities. And then if you're active, the first things that you should be doing is defining what types of deals you're going after and then finding brokers that match that. If I'm a passive investor, can I just Google active hotel deal or is there a secret society I need to join or tell me how I can find out about this kind of stuff if it's new to me? Mm -hmm. So for that same marketing reason of with the SEC... Securities exchange. A lot of times, you can't just have your deal hanging out there in uh, in the Google world. But what you would be able to do as a passive investor is find investment groups. And really, in the hotel space, that's almost anyone who has capital at the end of their name. Um, they're typically deal sponsors. So things that you could Google are hotel investment groups, for example, and see if they have any open investments. That's interesting. That's good to know. What is one lesson that you've learned from marketing hotel deals that you think could potentially translate across other industries or businesses? Know your audience and know yourself. So know your audience and what they're looking to gain from the conversation. So for example, if I know an investor wants to build wealth, I'm going to talk to them a lot about the return on investment that they could have with my deal. If I know that they're more of a conservative type of investor, I'm going to speak on the 
worst case scenario that could happen and how we would combat that to make them more comfortable. But then also in knowing myself, when I'm marketing or talking to people, you typically do best in situations that you're comfortable in. So if I feel more comfortable in one-on-one, then I'll have a better ratio of success for each person that I talk to. So knowing my strengths, knowing what I'm talking about, rehearsing to myself as well, so that when I do present to others, I am confident in everything and I have answers or can find them out later at some point. As a hotel owner and investor, what do you wish on-property staff understood or knew that they don't? Funny enough, a lot of times when I either go to hotels or am talking to front desk agents, for example, if you ask them, you know, who owns this hotel, a lot of their answers are going to be, this is a Marriott hotel or the third party management group maybe is the one that owns it. And that's the name that they see on their paycheck. So if hotel staff knew better on how hotels are actually structured, especially their hotel. I think that that would be something I would want to see more. It would maybe help them to better have a vision for who the hotel owner is and take care of the hotel like it was their own and even maybe spark some passion for them to one day own a hotel. What is one prediction that you have for the future of hotels, either on the operation side, the investment side, both, either one? I think that on the operation side, maybe hotels will become more experience-based versus transaction-based. So previously, before the pandemic, a lot of it is just getting you into your hotel checked in and you might not have a lot of experiences within the hotel and it's more of a cookie cutter type of hotel that you see everywhere you go. But I think one thing this pandemic has taught us is that you don't always have to physically be somewhere. So you can do certain parts of your job without traveling. So maybe that makes more room for people who actually want to be there, want to have conversations with the staff and have more um, opportunities to interact with other people. And so perhaps that results more in having more experiences when you're traveling. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. There's so many conversations happening right now about unbundling the costs of a hotel stay. Mm -hmm. So for example, charging more if you want to use the pool. And it rubs me the wrong way and I just haven't completely decided why. But I think it has to do with, to your point, now that fewer people have to travel for business, when they do, it should be special. It shouldn't just be... Like, might as well check in at the county jail if all you're doing is (laughs) sleeping in a bed. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, I agree, though. I want the whole package when I'm traveling. It's supposed to be something special. Otherwise, you can stay at home. (laughs) Well, even if I don't take advantage of all of the options, I don't want to feel nickeled and dimed. I want to feel like I'm in control of my experience versus the $5 for pool access or whatever. That just Mm -hmm. seems so petty to me. I'll probably get in big trouble for saying that. All right. (laughs) What is next for you and for Elise Capital? 
Next for me and at least capital is another deal. Um, so we have an aggressive goal for acquisitions and I aim to keep up that momentum. Okay, folks, before we let Kendra go, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Kendra, what's a story that you would only tell on the loading dock? (laughs) So I haven't told this story often, um, but whenever I think of crazy hotel stories, this is one that comes to mind. Um, So while I was in college, my first job was, like I had said, working the front desk. And, you know, at front desk, you see a lot of exciting things. And the first company I worked for was actually a kind of unique lodging concept called Minute Suites, where there's suites in the airport, but on the terminal side, so past security. And um, you can rent them either by the hour or overnight. And it's pretty good when you have delayed flights or things of that sort. And then for me personally, I never grew up with having pets. So let's just keep that in mind as we do the story. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) rooms by the hour and pets. I'm already terrified. Please continue. (laughs) Sound like they go together, right? (laughs) Um, But I had one memorable guest who was traveling with her dog for a dog show and their flight got super delayed and she ended up staying (laughs) in our minute suites and every hour that she would come back out, she would say, can you go to this website and vote for my dog in this contest so that he can win people's choice awards? So, so this had to be like the longest delayed flight, but that dog got a lot of votes out of me um, for, for during this delayed flight. So I'm not sure if the dog ended up winning, but I think it helped our guest. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we're going to assume that that dog won people's choice award and that your guest had a wonderful rest at her minute suite. Kendra Plummer, thank you so much for being here. I always learn so much when we talk. And I think the opening the door to hotel development and ownership is something important for all of our listeners to hear. I hope they were taking notes and I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor. Thank you, Susan. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thanks for joining us today. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash six. Top Floor is a production of Long Live Lodging. Our elevated elevator music was composed and performed by John Albano, designed by Neha Patel and Jason Lum. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. 
You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.